Well, words ought to be more important to Christians than to any other group of people. We serve a God who spoke the world into being, a God who reveals himself in a Bible, words which he spoke. We believe in a Savior who calls himself the Word. How can we not care then about words? How can we not care about instruction? How can we not care about how we go through the world and how our vocabulary and the tone of our voice reflects our Savior who said, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. And so we're invited by Jesus to care about what we say, and we're invited by James now to care about what we say. The pastor of this very first church, like Jesus, warned us about our words. So let's read what he has to say in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a, f- a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every beast and bird, A reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. So a spring... Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so James warns us about the use of our words. And I would paraphrase his warning to be this. Don't teach or volunteer to speak more than you need to so that your rebellious, powerful little tongue will not cause you to stumble. Don't teach or speak more than you need to so your rebellious, powerful little tongue does not cause you to stumble. He starts off by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He lumps himself into this um, group as well. We who teach will have greater strictness. I have the unenviable job this morning of doing what the Bible says not to do, and that's teaching. And I am putting myself in harm's way, in judgment's way, to undertake this task this morning. Even as I read this, some of you may be congratulating yourselves because you're polite. You don't have anyone in real life that you would speak ill toward. Your tongue, when you're in the presence of other people, is under control. Well, I hope even as I'm reading about the tongue, I hope it's obvious that we're really not talking about the pink little muscle inside your mouth, but about your words. We're talking about the muscles of your fingers on a keyboard as much as the muscle in your mouth. The muscle of your thumbs on your phone as much as your tongue. And so you can use your words to injure people in a multitude of ways. I think one of the glaring issues around this topic is that we can say things with our fingers that we would never say with our tongues. Politeness in person is not a substitute for rudeness online. James talks about Teachers, A teacher in James's world would have been someone who held forth in a school with disciples about practical or theoretical knowledge. Most specifically, James would have had a teacher in mind who would have held forth with a platform granted to him by the assembly of believers that he talked about in chapter 2. One of the things that we have to adjust for and come to grips with is that social media today has democratized the platform. Nobody needs to give it to you. All you need to do is have a smartphone and download an app and you have a platform as a teacher. Let that sink in for a moment. You have a platform as a teacher. Even 20 years ago, You didn't get to be a teacher unless some gatekeeper with some credentials said that you could be a teacher. Now, everyone is a teacher. When you act as an authority or you cite an authority in such a way that you enlighten other people about the way that they should think, you're setting yourself up as a teacher. And James says, when you do that, you invite stricter judgment. The stricter judgment, just to be clear, is not censure from other people. It's not the fact that they won't like you or they'll make a bad comment on your post. Rather, he's talking about a stricter judgment, namely God's judgment. God's evaluation of your words is what you invite when you become a teacher. And he says anybody that can, get, that can bridle his tongue, that can keep control of his words, is a perfect 
person. <laughs> In other words, none of us do this perfectly, do we? And so it's a challenge for everybody. He goes on to say that your tongue is small, but it's powerful. It's small and powerful in that it sets the direction of your life. It sets the direction of your thoughts. He says if we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. I think these pictures are adequate, really. They're adequate because uh, the bridle or a bit in the mouth of a horse is super small compared to the horse itself. There's nothing strong about that bit. The horse is strong. And a rudder on a ship, it's just a fraction of the size of a ship. And yet even in the midst of the strong winds and waves, it's the rudder that turns a ship because that small little instrument is powerful. Just like your tongue. Just like your words. So be careful. He says not only are they small and powerful, changing the direction of your life and the, <laughs> the course of the world, but they're unbelievably dangerous. He says so also... The tongue is a small member, yet boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. So he talks about a bit, he talks about a rudder, and now he talks about a fire. That the smallest fire, a spark, can ignite a huge forest. How convenient, isn't it, that we had such a close-to-home illustration of this in September. Surely I don't have to remind you how awful that was. I'm so thankful no one lost anything no one got physically burned. Yet all of us, all of us were on edge because of the fires. All of us were hurt in some way because of the fires that the smoke. It was expensive, disruptive, and hazardous. He says there's a lot of danger and damage done by the tongue. Not just that, but the tongue lights on fire the entire course of life. Everything gets lit up because of the way we speak or because of the words we use. I mean, think about that. When you talk about the course of life and all the various aspects of life, have you ever hard, have a hard time falling asleep because of the things that someone said to you? Because of something that they wrote online provoked you in such a way you couldn't sleep? Your words affect all of life. The hint here is that the smallest spark, or in this case, the smallest careless word, 
can set the world on fire. That's amazing that something so small, something so seemingly inconsequential could turn the world upside down. In all fairness, it can turn the world upside down for good and for ill, can't it? But James is really only concerned that it turns the world upside down in the wrong way. And then he says, your tongue, my tongue, is set on fire by hell. I mean, that's stronger words than I would use. But he's He says your tongue is set on fire by hell. When you speak what first comes to your mind, when you say what is natural, you have an accent. And it's the accent of hell. You either sound like someone who is bound for hell or sound like someone who is representing hell. I mean, it's really just awful. (laughs) Even the Apostle Peter had that problem, didn't he? He was quick to oppose Jesus on the way to the cross when he tried to stop him, and Jesus replied, Get behind me, Satan. Because it was his words that had the ring of hellfire on them. And the tongue is a fire, and it can inflame other fires. It's like gas that you pour on some other thing. You add fuel to the fire. It might even be a fire you didn't even know was there. That's the problem with being a teacher, is that you can say something that you thought of, that you thought was clever, that you thought was uh, clear, and someone will misunderstand it or take it the wrong way, and poof, you've lit them up. I just want to say that one of the most grievous things for me as a pastor is the way that we talk to one another online, yet can't talk to one another in person. We lob opinions or articles online. And what does that do? Have you ever read a rant on? Has anyone ever read a rant online and changed their opinion? Or changed their position? I don't think that happens very often. I think rather our words, our fiery opinion, I think we end up adding fuel to a fire that ends up disunifying the church, that ends up pitting people on both sides of an issue that isn't an issue they necessarily need to divide for. There's a fire of disunity that is fueled by the kinds of words we use. And yet, we're polite enough that in person, we don't really talk things out.
I mean, I've been talking about the fires, talking about the fires from September, and I have to tell you, I mean, this is just how it is, isn't it? I have been worried about even bringing up those fires because I'm worried that anything I say about the fires may ignite a rant because you've heard them like I have. A rant about forest management and whose fault it is. A rant about who started the fires. A rant about how the smoke wasn't so bad and we shouldn't have stayed indoors and been so careful. I mean, those words still linger. The smoke is gone, but the words linger. And I worry that those rants are minor compared to the other rants that we go on so often. Where we talk about things we don't completely know or understand, and we blame people we've never met. And it makes me want to go on a rant, I'm just going to say. And so James continues, and he uses another illustration. This, this is really, in some respect, it's hard to preach. There's, the only thing left is to apply this, because he illustrates it completely. Every kind of beast, verse 7, or bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Animals, reptiles, birds, sea creatures have been tamed. Maybe James had just taken his kids to the Jerusalem Sea World or the uh, Galilee Zoo. And so those things were on his mind and he, and he said, you know, we've, we've tamed all sorts of animals, big and small. And yet the smallest little tongue can't be tamed. Did you notice what he characterizes your tongue to be like? It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What is going to come out of your tongue, if it is unchecked, will be evil because your tongue is restless. It will be poisonous unless you put a check on it. This is true of everyone, not just teachers, but especially teachers. And so it is the poison that spills out that incurs the stricter judgment. But think about that. Who do you want to poison? Do you want to poison your family? Too many of us do by the way we speak to the people that are closest to us. Do you want to poison all of your Facebook friends? Do you want to poison... People that you don't even see? That's what comes out of your tongue or through your fingers when your words are unchecked. Then James goes on to say that it's next to impossible to have 
consistency with your tongue. It's small, it's dangerous, it can't be tamed, and it's almost impossible now to have it come out consistently. Verse 9, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so he starts off with blessing and cursing. Can you bless God and curse those made in his image? Now, Again, I mean, for some of us, we may be congratulating ourselves that we don't live in um, Salem back in colonial New England. And so there's not witches around, and we don't think of curses. We don't live in a world inhabited by uh, leprechauns and uh, demons. We have a less magical view of the world. And so we don't really, in fact, probably none of us have ever done an enchantment or a curse on somebody else. Maybe you have, but a curse in a different place and time was a way to to magically call down harm on someone. If you curse them, you would speak words intended to bring hurt into their lives. Now, we live in a less magical world. Yet, one Greek lexicon suggested that you could think of a curse in more modern terms. It said, a curse can also find blatant expression, perhaps poetically, in a passionate surge of ill will. A passionate surge of ill will. Well, I'm just going to say it. In the past couple weeks, I have heard so many people cursing those of a different political stripe. When I say cursing, I mean passionate surges of ill will toward those people. It's hard to read into many of the statements that people are given the benefit of the doubt. That there could be complex or nuanced reasons why people might make some other political decision than I make. I've even heard Christian leaders who really are chapter and verse here in James suggests that anyone who disagreed with them politically can't really be a Christian and we need to pray for them. This is why there's a warning against being a teacher. Because people deserve dignity. This is his whole point. 
People deserve dignity even if, and perhaps especially if, they are different from you. Because they reflect the image of God. It is the value that they have in the eyes of God as people made in his image that requires us to speak well of them, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to not let our poison loose on them, but rather to use restraint because we want to bless the God in whose image those people are made. Can I just say, President Trump, for all of his problems, for all of his power, for all of his position, is made in the image of God. And we dare not curse him, especially because God has placed him in authority over us. I need to suggest to you also a person in a Black Lives Matter t-shirt is made in the same image of God. And the way that you talk about these people, does it reflect a blessing? Or would someone describe it more as a curse? Would it be positive or disdainful? Would it be hurtful or kind? Would your words that you speak or type be characterized more by the esteem you have for God in those made in his image? Or would they be characterized more as a curse I mean, this is really about developing a filter on our words. How unfiltered have you been as you speak about people who are on the opposite side of you politically or about how you speak about our governor or your disdain for masks? Do you speak in a way that reflects the blessing of God on them? Are you careful about your communication? Because there is a person, a real person, on the other end of your comments. And when there is another human being on the other end of your comments, they deserve dignity and respect and kindness because they reflect the image of the God that you, as a Christian person, bless. When you think about it, if you're like me, it's the things that you've said, not the actions you've done, 
that you need to apologize for. That's the way it is for me. There are certainly sins that you can commit without words, but I would guess that for every one of those sins, that there are a hundred sins that we commit with our words. And so to bring this to conclusion, I want to do really two things. I want to be of practical help and I want to be of ultimate help. I read an article this week that suggested we ask ourselves questions about our words online. This author suggested that we ask, am I making it harder for all sorts of people to hear what I have to say about more important things by the way that I write about secondary things online? Is my online persona making it harder for my in-person friends to want it to be around me? He asks, am I speaking on matters upon which I do not have special knowledge and for which no one needs my opinion? Am I animated more by what I am reading in scripture or by what I am seeing on the news and in social media? I don't ask those questions to be difficult. I just... I just want us to be careful. I want us to heed the words of James to not many people be teachers, even though we all have a platform. I want us to represent Jesus, not only by what we say, but by the manner in which we say it. I think it's a good idea perhaps to ask other questions too. Am I generalizing in a way that's hyperbolic and not accurate? I mean, seriously, does anyone else do this at home when you talk to your spouse and you say you never or you always? Or has the posts that you're forwarding or sharing generalized too far? Is it unnuanced so that it's as hurtful as it is helpful? Would you apply the same labels or represent your opinions in the same tone if a single person were sitting in front of you and you were talking with them as you would if you were typing it online? Or do I need to talk to someone instead of posting online or sending uh, uh, a text or firing out an email? Do I just need to talk to somebody? Or does this 
post or statement makes someone look stupider than me? Yes, I use that word on purpose. Does it make them look less than? I mean, this is, I'm just going to say, this passage is almost all hard confrontation. I feel like I've exercised all the restraint I can and not push too hard because this is just grievous to me as a pastor. I want us to be able to talk to one another. I want us to be able to represent the tone and the ideas of our Savior with equal vigor. And I want us to be able to do it in person, not impersonally, so that someone reads it in a different context and they hear it in a different frame of mind than you intended, and it doesn't make things better. And so what do we do about this? What do we do about this, tongue of, what, about this tongue of mind that is out of control, that is a restless evil and full of poison and is about to bring me into judgment? What do I do about it? Well, I'm going to say the answer is not in this text. The answer comes later in chapter 4 when James tells us that this little tongue of mine lit on fire by hell by the devil, requires my repentance. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and weep. Repent of those out-of-control words. Repent of the harm that you have done to someone else. And I, I, I do this all the time. I probably need to do this after this message. And so that, th those are the practical things. But let me just say that ultimate help comes when Christ changes your heart. This is hinted at in our text. When the spring is changed, the water that comes out is sweet. When Christ changes your heart, what proceeds from your heart is better. I mean, the woman at the well, Jesus was talking with her and they were having this conversation about water down in the well and Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If Christ changes your well, the water that comes out will be sweet. This goes along with the words Jesus said in Matthew 12, 24. He said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so that's why inconsistency in our speech is such a problem. 
That's why the stress of the COVID situation and the pressure of the political atmosphere has been so hard, not because it's a tongue problem or a finger problem, but because it's been a heart problem. There's anxiety and fear and anger that's in the heart that the Lord needs to cleanse to change what comes out. And so we need to repent and ask for forgiveness and ask him to give us a new and clean heart. Because if you have a new heart, a, a sweet spring, you'll have sweet water come out. Or to use the other metaphor that he uses here, you'll have different uh, fruit growing from your life because of the life of Christ within you. In John 15, Jesus said, if you abide in the vine, you'll bear fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches, he said. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. You'll bear vine fruit. You won't bear figs or olives or something else. What comes out of you will represent the life of Christ within you. And that's what I hope for all of us. That God would be gracious to us. That he would forgive us for our past uh, words. And that the words that come out in the future would proceed from a heart that is free from fear, free from anxiety, free from hatred, free from even the circumstances around us, and that we might have the peace of God guarding our hearts so that from it, from our hearts, might come words that build up and encourage and teach so that when we receive the stricter judgment, that we might be able to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. May God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is really impossible for me not to just be absolutely fear-struck having to talk about words. Yet, Father, I pray that you will take whatever imperfect attempt I've made here and make it useful to your church. Would you cause us to hear James in his words here so that we might be careful? We don't want to set on fire anybody, anybody's life, let alone especially our own. We don't want to poison the people we love. We don't want unbridled evil to come out of our mouths. Oh, Father, would you help us? And would you use our words to be useful in your kingdom purposes so that we might be disciples of Jesus, not disciples of the news outlet that we watch or the news uh, outlets that we read or the, uh, anybody else's opinion, Father. We want you to guide us and lead us and cause our hearts to, out, uh, to flow over with good words. And we'll thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.